Okay, I'm going to say a few things before we uh, pray. Um, you know, maybe I should put all this on the tape that I'm about to say. So, let's pray. We're going to pray. God, our Father, we are grateful for your love and your kindness. We honor you and we bless your holy name, Almighty God. We thank you, Lord, that you are altogether lovely. God, that you are majestic in holiness. Oh, Lord, that your beauty is beyond our comprehension. Lord, that your glory is so bright that no man can see it and live. We praise you. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus, God, which cleanses us and washes us and makes us new creatures wherein you can live by your Spirit. We thank you for the blessed Holy Spirit, God, that you have given to us to sanctify us, to conform us to the image of Christ, to lead us into all truth. We praise you and we thank you for such a gift. We ask, dear God, today as we look into your holy word, that you would enlighten our minds. Give us eyes to see, God. And Lord, give us strength in our faith that we might have ears to hear and obey, to hearken unto your voice and do as you have commanded. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, in our families, in our marriages. We praise you because of Jesus' precious blood. Amen. Okay, a couple things. Uh, I want to uh, point this out to you. I, I have a personal website, if you're not aware. It's called heavenslight.org. On the Heaven's Light website, there is a theology button. Across the top, there's two rows of buttons. If you hit the theology button, you'll come to a whole series of teachings on theology in which is the series that we did in this class two years ago on God's sovereignty. So that's a nine-month series on God's sovereignty. It deals with God's character and his nature, his sovereignty, and then it goes through the entire doctrine of salvation, uh, dealing with God's sovereignty in salvation. And that's all on the sovereignty series. And if you're looking at that webpage, you'll see a little color diagram of a lightning bolt going through a tree. That little section right there is the Sovereignty Series. And furthermore, it, there's, a, there's a link on there, so if you click that link, you will go to all of the audio teachings that also match the handouts that are there provided. Okay. Furthermore, right below that, you'll see another little color icon, which is the color of the Savior Cross and the Gospel um, uh, diagram that we have for that series of lessons. Now, that was the series of lessons that began last year, September 2007, and we went through the person of Christ in the first part of the year, and we went through the work of Christ, or the atonement, on the second part of the year, and all of those teachings are also there under that section, the Savior, the Cross, and the Gospel. Furthermore, the lessons that we're doing this September and following this whole year are being posted under that Savior Cross in the Gospel series, okay? And so, of course, now we're on the Gospel part of it. But um, I wanted to make you aware that all of these materials are available on, on the website on that link. And the audio teachings for the Savior Cross and Gospel series 
are not moved on to this website yet. However, you can go to the Heritage website and you can find them under the Adult Bible Class heading for online lessons and they're all there, along with the handouts as well. Okay? So then, a couple of things I wanted to point out. Don't forget to get your copy of the companion CDs that we've been providing. There'll be more coming on the way. We're going to do a lengthy series on justification by faith and also on the lordship controversy. And uh, we'll be dealing with that over the, the coming weeks. And um, I'll be providing some more audio teaching CDs. A couple things I want to remind you of. These are two books I've recommended in the past, and I, I believe we're going to make these available to you. Um, but this first one is the book by John Murray called Redemption Accomplished and Applied. And uh, this, of course, is my favorite book in the world on the doctrine of <laughs> salvation. Amen. And uh, so you know what that's all about. And this one is by John Piper. It's called Counted Righteous in Christ. This book is about the doctrine of imputation. And it's basically just a, a, a scripture Bible study on the doctrine of imputation. This is a very valuable reference. It's, it's short. It's <coughs> concise. It's a good one. John Piper, Counted Righteous in Christ. Also, if you go to the Desiring God website, which is his website, he has a whole series of audio teachings that you can listen to right off of the website on the doctrine of imputation. If you just go to... Um, the section of his website where he's teaching through Romans chapter 4, you'll get all the audio teachings that were basically a companion to this book. He, he produced this book out of that section of teaching when he was in Romans 4. Okay? All right. One other thing, we provided this drawing to you today, thanks to uh, Carol Ruvalo. She handed this to me last week, and so I went and kind of put it on an electronic format. But this is just a, a little diagram that kind of describes some of these biblical terms about being reconciled to God. And so what it shows here is that in the process of reconciliation, that these different terms refer in a certain direction in our relationship to one another between man and God. So that God is the one who is propitiated by the sacrifice of Jesus. And... We are the ones who are redeemed by Jesus because of his sacrifice. And God is the one that declares us just on the basis of what Christ has done. Um, and, and that altogether is called reconciliation. Or if you will, those are the main components of reconciliation. Okay? Helpful diagram. There's also some room there to take notes. Okay? Okay. So I made a grave error, family. I punched the holes... Uh, no, I, 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 didn't, I didn't put 74 on the back of 73. So you got a new 74 now, okay? And, and okay, so um, room for notes. Room for notes on the back of 73 there, okay? Okay. With that, we're going to take off here in Romans chapter 3, picking up where we left off. Uh, we've been we've been doing an exposition on the passage from Romans chapter three verses nineteen through twenty eight, and so far we have gotten through um, well up to verse twenty five. Okay, and I just want to read this for you again, just 
for a brief review to kind of remind you the context of what we're studying. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and following. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and the whole world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Amen. So ends the reading of the Word of God. And so, uh, just wanted to point out to you, remember that verses 19 and 20 were Paul's concluding remarks about the guilt of the whole world before God and the accountability of the whole world before God in judgment. And so, if you will, at this point, Paul is really beginning to deal with legal terms. And he has pictured God as the judge, right, as he was pictured there in Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, and that... We are, if you will, in the courtroom of God, and we are being uh, uh, held liable by the law of God. And so these are legal matters. And the, the uh, uh, whole context of this passage is dealing in a legal sense with our relationship to God. And so what Paul has concluded in the first three chapters in verse 19 and 20, is that the whole world is guilty before God, both Jew and Gentile, and guilty not only because uh, that their conscience has borne witness against them in their sins, but that also God's law has now come, been revealed, and closed every mouth, so that no one has any defense, or, if you will, no one has any justification through things that can be said to justify what they have done. Instead, he says that every mouth is closed and the whole world held accountable to God because through the law, nobody can be justified because everybody's violated it. And number two, it's through that law that we see very clearly then what sin is. Okay? That's verses 19 and 20. And then verses 21 through 24 is the announcement of the gospel. And this is really the clearest, most concise gospel passage in the whole Bible, where Paul is simply saying that now the righteousness of God has been revealed in Christ and it's available for all those who will believe. And the fact that this uh, righteousness of God, where God Uh, commits a declarative act toward us, declaring us to be righteous 
on the basis of what Christ has done. And, and here we're told that this justification or this declaring us to be righteous is done as a gift by his grace and it's apart from the works of the law. And so that the, the gospel becomes crystal clear right here saying that we are justified by faith in Christ on the basis of what Christ has done by the grace of God only. Okay? And so if you will, to sum up Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, that clear gospel passage that, frankly, every Christian ought to have memorized. To sum that up, we would say, salvation happens by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Okay? Three of the five solas. You with me? And we're going to get there. We're going to talk about those in length, Lord willing. Uh, but that brings us to verse 25 in our context, and this is where we left off last week, where Paul says in Romans 3.25, whom, that is Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. And so, Paul points to the redemption price that he referred to back in verse 24 where he said that um, we were uh, justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which was in Christ Jesus. And now he points to what that redemption is saying that it is whom, that is Jesus, that in him God publicly displayed him as a propitiation. And remember that I explained to you that this word propitiation here in this context of Romans actually refers to the atoning victim that's placed on the altar. So that it is the actual sacrifice itself that Paul is referring to. So God displayed Christ publicly as the atoning victim for our sins. That's what Paul is saying. And of course we talked about that last week at at length. And so, if you will, we see the nature of the gospel here where we're dealing with our relationship to God and how we become justified. Well, it's, it's a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ, and that redemption in Christ is something that where, where God displayed it publicly as a propitiation, okay, as an atoning sacrifice. And so, we see the nature of the gospel here that it's theological, It's dealing with our relationship with God at its core. And this uh, God has now intervened by, by sacrificing his son. And so the gospel is Christological. It's Christ-centered. Christ is at the center of the gospel. He's the redemption price that was paid. And so we see that the very heart of the gospel, it's a theological message about how man gets reconciled to God by Christ and through faith. Are you with me? So this is all very clear in these verses. And so notice how he says, whom God displayed publicly. So number one, it was Christ who was the atoning victim or the propitiation. Number two, God was the first cause. God displayed Christ publicly. Right? It was the Father's will to crush him, said Isaiah in chapter 53, right? And that it was the, uh, as we've learned here many times, it was the eternal plan of God, 
right? The eternal purpose of God through Christ Jesus our Lord, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, right? So the point is that this is the eternal purpose of God being played out in the cross where God has sacrificed Christ and put him forth publicly as a display of his justice by sacrificing Christ as a propitiation, okay? And so Christ is the sacrifice, God is the one who has displayed him publicly, and he is the actual atoning victim, okay? But this redemption that is in Christ Jesus, Paul says here is, in his blood through faith, okay? So that the redemption price is what? It's in his blood, so what was the payment, right? Remember that the term redemption is a monetary term. What was the payment that brought about the justification that is a gift by his grace? Well, it was the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, which is what? Christ being put forth as an atoning victim. And it's through that blood that we receive this justification through grace. Okay? You see that? It's a, it's a wordy section of scripture, but it's rich with meaning. You with me? And then so he says, you know, the terms in his blood, and this is a question on your questions there. The terms in his blood speak of Christ being a blood sacrifice that appeases the holy God to provide the justification that is received by faith. And I pointed out to you that there's an Old Testament reference to God in Psalms 9.12 where God is referred to as he who requires blood. And I told you that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Right? Why is that? Because the wages of sin is death. When sin occurs, something must die. Someone must die. And as I often say to you, if Christ does not die for your sins, you will die for your sins. But somebody's going to die for your sins. Amen? Are you with me? And death in this sense that I refer to here is eternal separation from God. Shut out from his presence. Where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched, according to Jesus. Right? And so, if you will, that, that, that death is going to occur. And, of course... Um, this is the, the, uh, one of the main subjects in the discussion in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 about how Christ is the once-for-all sacrifice that God has put forth publicly, right? In order to pay the redemption price for sins, Christ is therefore the fulfillment of the, of the high priest, being a high priest and an offering himself. Amen? And of course, that's the context of Hebrews 9 and 10. But notice again Paul's emphasis on faith. Look what he says. He says, in his blood through faith. As if he hasn't told us that enough times already in this passage. Are you with me? He's, he's driving these things home through repetition. And, and I mean, I mean what, what, what would Paul be trying to convey by adding these two words on the end of this sentence? Um, in his blood through faith. What is he trying to emphasize? That this justification and the application of Christ's redemption comes to us through faith. It's through faith. And in this context, that means apart from works. Faith is the contrast with works of the law in this passage. 
Are you with me? And Paul keeps re-emphasizing it again and again and again. Well, here is another one of those repetitious plates, places where he says that our redemption is in his blood through faith. Faith, and this is a question on your handout, faith is the vehicle through which the propitiation is applied. Okay? God's wrath is appeased and satisfied for every individual who receives the satisfaction through faith. Okay? No one can merit this appeasement of wrath. Now get this point. This is a technical point about the gospel that's very important. And this is why I keep telling you, somebody's going to die for your sins. Either it's going to be you or it's going to be Jesus. Right? No one can merit this appeasement of wrath. Okay, the propitiation, the atoning victim that is there propitiating God's wrath. Nobody can merit that on their own. Because if you were to appease the wrath of God on your own, what would you have to do? You'd have to die forever in hell. You with me? So, therefore, because of the infinite nature of your guilt before God, you will die forever and never pay the price. Right? You see, eternity is a very long time. Okay? And it speaks to the degree of our guilt before God. Okay? It can never be paid. It's a debt that can never be paid because it is an infinite violation and transgression of the character and nature of God. One sin. Right? And I've got them piled up to heaven. Are you with me? So it also speaks of the sufficiency of the atonement that God has provided for sin in Christ. How sufficient is the atonement to cover over sin? Absolutely and completely. Amen? You with me? Okay, so, it's important then to understand, no one can merit the appeasement of wrath without becoming the appeasement themselves. This is why salvation is not of works, but rather through faith in Christ who worked it for us. Because you see, what happened was, Jesus wasn't dying for his own sins. Remember, we talked about this at length when we studied the atonement. But he was dying instead of us, in our stead. He was dying vicariously, right? Or for us, and as a substitute in our place. You see, Jesus was not guilty of sin. Therefore, when he died, the payment of that was worthy to cover all sins. And that's the infinite value and infinite sufficiency of the atonement. Are you with me? So the, the point is that Jesus worked this payment for us and he did it in our place and that's how his death can be applied to us because he didn't have to die for his own. Not only that, because he was a perfectly righteous and unblemished lamb, when he died, okay, the value the merit of that sacrifice is sufficient to cover sin in its totality. Okay? You with me? So that's why the writer to the Hebrews says that his body was put forth as an offering once 
for all. Or if you will, once for all time. In other words, he doesn't have to keep going back and keep being sacrificed again and again and again and again and again. Why? Because the value and the merit of his death covers all sins once for all time. Okay? So then, uh, this is exactly what Paul is saying. That we have this redemption in his blood through faith. Okay, It's because of the sacrifice of Christ that we are redeemed to God and from sin. Amen? Okay, so then, this, Paul says, was to demonstrate his righteousness. Now think about what Paul's saying. This whole bit about Christ being put forth and displayed publicly as an atoning victim, okay, by God, was... God demonstrating his righteousness. That's what Paul's saying here. That this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. So, now this blood sacrifice, this is another question on your questions, was God making a demonstration of his righteousness. This is the manifested righteousness of God. Verse 21. Remember how he said there that now the righteousness of God has been manifested? What was it? It was this God displaying publicly the propitiation in his blood. Okay? This was God demonstrating his righteousness. It is the manifest righteousness of God. Christ dying on the cross is the manifest righteousness of God. And in it, God is displaying publicly his righteousness for the whole world to see, family. Okay? The cross is renowned throughout the ages to this very day. Amen? And so, if you will... Consider here, God has something to demonstrate, Paul says. His righteousness. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Well, how did he do that? He sacrificed Christ Jesus publicly to demonstrate his righteousness. Here Paul gives us the reason why God needed to demonstrate his righteousness. He goes on and he says this. He says, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Now, what is Paul referring to? Well, here Paul simply means that God needed to demonstrate his righteousness because he had not burst forth in wrath against all sin in the previous ages on mankind to destroy them. But rather, in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins that were previously committed. You understand? So in other words, mankind has been sinning on the earth from the garden all the way to the cross. And what has God done about that? Well, in his patience, he has been waiting for the opportunity in the fullness of time to demonstrate his righteousness about sin. And in that, Paul calls this the forbearance of God. God was forbearing with the sins of mankind. Reference Romans 9, 22 and 23, which is where... Uh, Paul makes some very clear statements about God's patience in dealing with the objects of his wrath, right? And so the point is that um, here Paul is saying God is demonstrating his righteousness through the cross. 
right now at the present time in order to demonstrate his righteousness, in order to say this, look, all those sins that went on back in that time, I wasn't just winking at them. Rather, the perfect Son of God must die for those sins. You see? And that is a demonstration of God's righteousness to the world. So then, here learn also that justification for sinners in previous ages was completed by Christ. Okay? So, in other words, for the church of old, or if you will, the faithful through the ages, in order for their justification to be completed, Christ had to die. So, if you will, the Old Testament worshiper was looking forward to the fulfillment of the sacrificial system, which was Christ. Christ fulfilled the Levitical priesthood. Christ fulfilled the sacrifices and the types and shadows in the Old Testament. And when they, uh, Old Testament worshiper, uh, worshiped God, he ultimately was looking forward to the Messiah to be delivered from his sins and to be brought into a utopian world which God had promised through the Messiah, right? And so uh, all of the Old Testament church, all the way back to Adam himself, were looking forward to Christ. And this is seen even in 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 the implementation of the sacrificial system between Adam and his son Abel, right? Are you with me? So there we have already blood sacrifices being made. And who was the one who provided the first blood sacrifice? God. How do we know that? He killed an animal, right? There was blood shed in order to do what? Cover the shame of Adam and Eve's nakedness. Right? Which is a type, if you will, of the gospel. It's a type of of the cross. And it's God saying, without the shedding of blood, there will be no remission of sin, which he repeats even in the time of Noah. And Noah is making sacrifices. And there in Genesis chapter uh, 9, I believe it is, God is saying the same thing. And and so there's this whole, whole point about, you know, there has to be blood. There has to be, wherever there is sin, there is death. Right? Which is, was God's warning to Adam in the beginning. Right? In the day you eat of that tree, ye shall surely die. And so, if you will, the gospel is portrayed as far back as the first chapters of Genesis. And so, in the fullness of time, now, God has publicly put forth Christ to demonstrate his righteousness and say this to the world, I was not winking at sin for the last 4,000 years. But now, I have offered up a redemption once for all time. And that is in Christ Jesus, in his blood received through faith. Amen? This is a demonstration of the righteousness of God. And this is what Paul says in verse 26. He says, For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul is simply saying this, At the present time, right now, in God sacrificing Christ, he's made this once-for-all demonstration of his righteousness. That's all Paul's saying. It's now come. It's in the fullness of time, and God has done this thing publicly as, 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 a, as, a, as a, a public manifestation to the whole world who is held accountable to God. Remember the context here? The courtroom of God, the justification of the believer, 
and all of those who were held accountable to God, the whole world held accountable to God, and, and now seeing clearly their sin through the law, right? Well, now God has put forth Christ as a demonstration of his righteousness for the whole world to see. And so, if you will, he says, of his righteousness at the present time. Here Paul describes that Christ's death was a demonstration of God's righteousness at the present time to explain that it is now fulfilled in the advent of Christ. This is the fullness of time when God has once for all time, Hebrews 10, 10 10-14, demonstrated his righteousness through the sacrifice or propitiation of Christ. And so I quoted for you there Galatians 4, 4 and 5. These are questions on your handout. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so here the scripture tells us when the fullness of time had come, when God's plan had reached its fulfillment in time and space, God sent forth his son. It was right at the right time. Amen? And according to the plan of God, that Christ was sacrificed and put forth publicly by God. Okay? God has fulfilled his justice once and for all now in Christ. You with me? Listen, this is good news, family. I want to repeat it. God has fulfilled his justice once and for all now in Christ. Okay? It speaks of the sufficiency of the atonement to cover your sin. God did this thing. And what God did was sufficient. Therefore, your conscience now can be cleansed by trusting in Christ. Because what do you do when you come to the cross? Well, you come with the acceptable sacrifice of a broken spirit and you say, God, I'm a wretched sinner. You beat on your chest like that publican and you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? And in that repentance and in that faith and trust in God, God says, I will remember your sins no more. Put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and sacrifice the fatted calf. Amen? Glorious God. Amen? Okay, so your conscience can rest, family. Your guilt is removed. Your sins are forgiven. The justice of God is fulfilled completely in Christ. That's good news. Amen? Okay then, so, he says here, that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here Paul states that God is just in this act of propitiation, and that he is the justifier as well. So, think about this, that this act of propitiation, putting forth Christ as an atoning victim, right, was the penalty for all sins fully met. That's why John writes in his letter in 1 John 2.2, 2, I don't want to misquote it. 1 John 2.2, 2, he says, 
My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Well, what in the world is Paul saying here? Of course, you remember we had a lengthy discussion last year, or was it two years ago, about... Uh, the doctrine of limited atonement or particular redemption. By the way, you can go here in the Sovereignty series and you can find that. You can read all about it. You can even listen to the audio. But the point is, is that the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient to cover all sin. But it is only proficient for those whom God has called and applied the blood to through faith, which happens because of regeneration. Are you with me? So, so the point is just that Christ has come in the fullness of time and he's made a public manifestation of the righteousness of God, dying for the penalty of sins, and if you will, convicting all of his enemies. And heralding the fact that God's righteousness has now been manifested and, and that the whole world is guilty before God and that God has freely offered Christ and that now all of those who have rejected Christ are guilty of the infinite sin, of rejecting the free offer of God for salvation. Because that death of Christ is sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world. But it only becomes proficient for them through faith. Are you with me? So that man is responsible for his sin entirely and completely. Okay? So, because the gospel goes out into the whole world, family, goes out to every creature. The offer is to every man and every woman. Okay? And so, the, the, the fact of the matter is, God has put this thing forth publicly as a demonstration of his righteousness, and it is it says here that he might be just. He's manifested his justice. It's clearly seen for all the world. And so... Um, not only is God just in this act of propitiation, okay, so that, look, if God's going to forgive my sins, how is he going to do that legally? Right? Somebody's got to pay the price. And somebody's got to pay the price who's not paying the price for their own sins. Are you with me? So this is how God is just in the propitiation of Christ. In giving me, in, in, in appeasing and satisfying his wrath towards me, right, by Christ. That makes God just. God's just not letting me off the hook. Christ is dying for my sins. Are you with me? This is what Paul means when he says, so that he might be just. In the propitiation, God is just. And he's also the justifier. So, who justified me? Me? By my tremendous holy works? <laughs> Haven't you seen me walking on water lately? Mm-hmm. Are you with me? That's not even funny, is it? <laughs> That's why Paul says, Where then is boasting? Verse 27, right? Who's going to boast about his righteousness before the holy God? Nobody is the answer, right? What do we boast in, family? The cross, the Savior, the Gospel. Amen? Are you with me? That's the only place for boasting. Amen? And so this is why we give praise to Jesus all the time in our conversation. 
This is why we always say, if the Lord is willing. This is why we always recognize the sovereignty and, and the providence of God in everything we do. It's all a gift by His grace. Don't you understand? We ought to be toast. Yeah. Are you with me? And so we're always and constantly looking to the cross and praising God. Amen? Which we will never grow weary of, world without end. Myriads and myriads of angels before the majestic throne in heaven, worshiping and praising the Lamb that was slain. Are you with me? This is the subs- this is the meat of our soul to praise the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay then, so, uh, God, he says, is the justifier as well. God is the one who justifies, which he repeats in Romans 8.33, and he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Now what's Paul doing here? He's repeating again <laughs> that justification happens by faith. You know, sooner or later we've got to say, okay, Paul, we got it. We, we, get, we got it, man. We got it. Right? How many times has he repeated this? You know, again, verse after verse after verse. He says, it's a demonstration of his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Right? What's your point, Paul? <laughs> so tell me, you and I are looking at this passage in Romans here for three weeks now. Okay, and I mean, this is in the black and white, so crystal clear that it's by faith apart from works. How can we miss this? How can there be a controversy of infinite proportions in the church that splits the entire church right down the middle over a doctrine like this that's so crystal clear in Scripture? Are you with me? Yes. It's called pride, and it's called blindness, and it's called religious systems, and it's called traditions of men, which nullify the commandments of God. Amen? And so, but, but the point is, is who speaks, and who's final? And here God has spoken, what is the final word on how we receive the propitiation in His blood? It's through faith, apart from works. Amen? Amen. Okay, so that's Paul's point. I don't know about you, but I got it now. I got it, Paul. Praise be to God. I got it. Right? I got it because God opened my eyes. Right? You know, the Proverbs, I think it's chapter 20, verse 12. Right? The hearing ear and the seeing eye. God has made them both. Right? Okay. So, see here in this glorious verse, justification is by faith. And in this, God has demonstrated his justice. Okay? It's amazing to me how much is in this little passage here. I used to read these. I remember reading these verses as a young Christian and thinking, that's so confusing. <laughs> you know, I try to read it in the NIV or even you know, a living Bible or something. You know, try to, try to understand what in the world is this saying here it's so wordy it's so lengthy i remember for years just being just really i don't quite get this whole thing right 
But but now I'm at this place where I've 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 really dug deep in this passage and looked at it and examined it and meditated and thought it through and looked at the phrases and the words and it's so crystal clear what God is saying. Are you with me? And so I hope you are receiving that same level of clarity from God. It is absolutely soul freeing for me. I can't tell you the freedom I have in Christ. It is unbelievable. My soul has been released to joy. God is such an enjoyment for me. I wake up in the morning praising God. I go to sleep at night praising God. Everything I touch to me is a privilege from God. It is just such a fabulous reality what God has done for us in Christ. And I hope you can see that here. In verse 27, he says then, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works. No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay? Here Paul points to mankind and asks how we can boast before God somehow of our own merit. Here he plainly states that boasting is excluded. In other words, we have no place to boast of our justification before God because it was completely unmerited and gratuitous, not being earned by us, but rather freely given and earned by Christ. You see that? Here's what, this is what Paul's saying. Who's going to boast about his works before God? Nobody. That's what he means when he says it is excluded. Right? What is it excluded by? By a law of faith? Well, if we look at that family, actually, it will exclude us. Okay? But that's not Paul's point. Paul's point is, God provides justification through faith. And it's actually, faith is the only thing that can save us because Christ is the only one that has the merit before God to justify us. Are you with me? In other words... Faith trumps the law. That's what Paul is saying. By a law of faith? I'm sorry, by a law of works? No way. Why? Because by the works of the law, nobody's going to be justified. But by faith. Faith in Christ is what reckons us righteous in the sight of God. Amen? Which he's going to go on the whole chapter 4. is a discussion of how God imputes his righteousness to us or reckons his righteousness to us through faith. As if he didn't repeat it enough right here. Right? So, further, this justification comes now by a law of faith and not of works. The idea of justification apart from works in this context is emphatic and repeated several times for Paul states just a few verses later in Romans 4. He says, But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. You see, the whole context and flow of Paul's thought through this passage in Romans 3 and into Romans 4 is, God is imputing righteousness through faith. And it's not the one who works, it's the one who believes in God who justifies the ungodly. You understand? That's the context and the flow of all of Paul's thought, all the way on in to chapter 9 through 11. The whole thing is a discussion and a building uh, uh, in this whole doctrine of salvation. 
Okay? Notice how many times in this short context this idea of justification by faith apart from works has been mentioned. Okay? I want you to see this. Look at it. I wrote down seven times. There may be more here. But in verse 21 he says, Now it's apart from the law. Right? So it's not according to obedience to the law. How is it? Well, it's by faith. Or verse 22. He says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. He says it twice there. Right? Okay, how about verse 24? That we are being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ. Okay, so how are we being justified? As a gift by His grace. It's apart from works. Right? How about uh, uh, verse... made a mistake there. I think that's verse 25. Or is it verse 24? It's 20... Yeah, 25, okay. That uh, it is a propitiation in His blood, what? Through faith. Okay, Paul, we're getting it. We're getting it. Number 5 there, verse 26. He's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Right? He's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, who's a good little Christian the rest of his life. You with me? Or a good big Christian, depending on, depending on if you're looking at me or somebody else, right? So, you know, big, you know. So. Okay, so the point is is that you know Paul keeps repeating this thing again and again and again. He comes at it from every angle, t- trying to tell us that justification happens by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay, and so verse twenty-seven, he says you can't boast; it's excluded. How by a law of faith, right? Verse twenty-eight. Look, look at this. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay? Now, family, this gospel passage that I'm telling you is the clearest gospel passage in all of the Bible. Romans 3, verses 19 through 28, is summarized in verse 28. And Paul says in very certain terms exactly what he is teaching in these verses. He says... For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, period. You see that? Here Paul summarizes the main point of this passage in very certain terms. This statement emphatically sets forth the idea that justification happens by faith and is apart from the works of the law. This is the heart of the gospel that could not be stated in any clearer terms than are given here. This is the major theme in Paul's doctrine of salvation. And I point to a few other verses like Romans 5. He says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. You see, this thing of justification happening by faith is all through the teaching of Paul. Galatians 2.16 Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be 
justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Okay, Galatians 2. And there, you know, in Galatia, Paul is refuting the doctrine of the Judaizers, right? Who are saying, look, faith isn't enough. You've got to do all these other religious things. Are you with me? And Paul can't put it in any clearer terms than he did there in Galatians 2.16, right? Okay? And then lastly, Philippians 3.9, that I may be found in him, that is Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Amen? Amen. Are you with me? Do you have the point of this passage? Okay, you are all now christened effective gospel ministers. Are you with me? Family, we got to do something with this knowledge. The first thing is enjoy God. Okay? Praise His glorious name. Drink the cup of salvation to the dregs. Okay? But then go out and tell somebody about it. Are you with me? Manifest it. Glorify God through your holy life. Glorify, you know, the kingdom of God, it's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Glorify God by enjoying Him. Accept the reconciliation He's given and walk in Him. Are you with me? Okay then, we'll end here. Justification before God is by God's grace only and received by faith only because of what Christ only has done. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Our Father God, we are so grateful, God. We are great sinners. And Christ is a great Savior. And we bless you. We bless your holy name with all that is within us, God. And Lord, I pray that this would be the food that fills our soul. God, that it would be the fan that blows the flame into bright heat and light that shines forth from our life. God, may we grasp the infinite value of the glory of your grace to us in Christ Jesus. Please, God, help us to see it, I pray, in his name and because of his holy cross. Amen.